0: Welcome to Downstage, the podcast of the San Diego Theater Critics Circle. I am David Cotton.
1: And I am Alejandra Enciso Dardashi. Hi. Thank you for joining us again.
0: She's in such a good mood. (laughs)
1: Right, right. If you can see what I can see, I'm like moving my camera around so I (laughs) can't see you guys, but hey, all good.
0: Well, we're we're both in a good mood because we have a guest that we've been looking forward to having on. She is uh, the recently appointed. Uh, Executive Artistic Director of Moxie Theater, and that's Desiree Clark Miller. Good morning, Desiree. Good morning.
2: <laughs> thank you <laughs> happy for being here.
0: Yeah, it's
1: been a while. It's been a while since we uh, confirmed. So thank you so much for, for coming along this ride, and uh, we're very happy to have you. How was uh, the whole um, process? Because we saw you on, and when I say we, I mean, you know, you know what I mean. <laughs> We saw you on stage, and then it was kind of like a little hiatus, and then the announcement. How was how all that?
2: Yeah, it was kind of a bit of a whirlwind. I, uh, I, my first performance at Moxie was in I think 2021 in Miniola Twins, and uh, and I just had a small role, and that was about two weeks after I had moved. Um, from Palm Springs here to San Diego that I went and auditioned for that. So it was really, really quickly. Um, And then I kind of bopped around to a bunch of different theaters. I was a teaching artist over at The Globe and The Playhouse um, and uh, for Catherine Hannah Schrock's company, Imagine uh was working up at nva and then i got a directing opportunity at moxie for mother of the maid which kind of started this really interesting snowball of directing shows and working kind of a lot more Um, and so when i saw this opportunity become available i was like you know what i don't know if it's the right time but i'm just gonna go for it And I did, and then here I am now. So uh, it was a pretty smooth transition. I think uh, Jen Thorne just really uh, planned really well for this. So our, I was directing the Chronicles of Kulki at Moxie. I was planning a a wedding and getting married. Um, And I was, (laughs) thank you. And I was stepping into this new position all at the same time. Wow. So luckily, Jen had planned uh, really well, and our board had uh, our, you know, they were backing us completely. And so uh, we had just a really good transition plan in place and were able to execute it quite swiftly, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. But Desiree,
0: what is it about the Moxie mission statement that is compatible with your own vision for theater?
2: Sure. Yeah. So Moxie's mission is to create more diverse and honest images of women plus for our culture. Um, and that's something that really resonates with me um, because one, I'm a, I'm a woman <laughs> and I want to see, you know, more diverse and honest images of folks like me on stage. And um, also I just You know, I think that in theater, there are so many stigmas uh, attached to what women can and cannot do. For myself, I had always assumed that if I had chosen a life in the entertainment industry, I was therefore foregoing having a family. Um, And so one of the things that really drew me to Moxie was the fact that that our founders, these incredible women, um, had said, we wanna be able to do both. It is totally possible for us to be whole humans with families and children, and to also have really successful careers in the theater and entertainment industry. And so finding Moxie and finding that I didn't have to think the way that I had been thinking, really and truly since I was about a teenager, um, was just so enlightening to me and, I just was immediately kind of drawn to the culture of recognizing the whole human. Wow.
1: There's always, you know, that, that, that kind of overlap or oh my God, or transition, right. When um, one comes, the other one is leaving. Um, now you you're going to get like really your, you know, playground <laughs> to use all the toys and everything. Um, what what is coming that you can kind of not spoil it, but give us a little taste? Uh, how do you envision things happening now that you're you know starting full on?
2: Yeah, um, well, Moxie is nineteen, about to be twenty, uh, so she is an adult. She's legal now. <laughs> and uh and so i think she's primed for the exploration of our late teens and early 20s right which is trying a lot of new things that are some which are risky some which are calling back to our mothers and trying to find ourselves and i think that's really where moxie is she's primed for growth in a really incredible way um and i'm i'm really looking forward to uh, not only the rest of the shows this season, which I think are a combination of really incredible things like Clyde's by Lynn Nottage um, and Notes on Killing Seven Oversight Management and Economic Stability Board members, which is coming to us from Soho Rep, um, which is a fantastic drag show. Um, so uh, these two shows are are great examples of a Pulitzer prize winning playwright and a brand new trans playwright and how we can kind of get excited about things. And then of course, I'm looking forward to our 20th anniversary season next year. Um, and I don't want to spoil anything. So I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna say, I'm really looking forward to it. There will be things in there that we have not done before. Um, we're really exploring, uh, doing more one-off opportunities. We're partnering a lot with other folks in the community like the Black Artists Collective. Uh, We have two co-productions with Diversionary this year and we're looking to do more of that. We're really stretching out uh, and letting folks know that although Moxie is, is representative of Women Plus, that really everybody belongs there. There's, there is depictions of all types of folks on our stage. And so we're really leaning into the idea of belonging. Uh, and And I hope that that's what we bring to the table moving forward.
0: Mm-hmm. I'm curious to see how web pages and newspapers get the headline of the drag show.
2: <laughs> I know. It's a long title. It's a long title. <laughs> Internally, um, we've just been calling it Notes. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I do, too. Moxie
0: aside, but more in general, Desiree, what makes a compelling piece of theater to you and a compelling work to you?
2: Ooh, that's such a good question. Compelling theater to me has perspective um, and challenges the audience. I think the first thing that most folks are asked when they enter into any kind of theater training or education is why. Why do you want to do it? What's your hope? What's your goal? And for me, it's always affecting change in my society. So if I read a play that I feel is thought-provoking and could make people uncomfortable and will make people think, then I am usually drawn to that story. Now, that's not to say that everything has to be Hit you over the head with some kind of thematic element that has to do with so society or things like that or social justice or anything. I think, yes, those things are really, really important. I also find that there are really great comedies that are there for just like entertainment value that still have messages for us and that people glean from those things. So I'm really um I'm really drawn to mostly just things that have an opportunity to impact society um, and also to affect change the way that Mother Courage did so many years ago.
1: Mm -hmm. Are we gonna see you on stage anytime soon?
2: Uh, That's a really good question. Um, We're toying with the idea I am classically trained. I attended the British American Drama Academy and have a BFA in acting from AMDA. So wow. it's not completely out there. Um, I So we're entertaining the idea. However, being in this position, it's not my main goal to be on stage, but rather to help Moxie grow, to foster an environment and opportunities for other artists who are up and coming. Um, but of course, um, Got to give the people what they want sometimes.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's, yeah, exactly. That's what you do too, right?
2: <laughs> yes. Desiree,
0: as a recall from your biography, you have some experience with working with theater as a therapeutic uh, device. In what way do you think theater at the professional level, like at Moxie, can provide that
2: kind of catharsis for people? I love that you asked this question. Um, Yeah, in 2014, I launched this program called Shout, which was a theater based program, a devised theater program for grieving kids and teens. So kids who had experienced the death or loss of someone significant in their lives. Um, And uh, we were able to get these young folks to tell their story. Um, So to answer your question, theater as an art form is inherently safe because folks come to the theater assuming that what they're seeing is fiction. So we have this beautiful opportunity to be able to express all of the deepest, darkest things about ourselves, and nobody needs to know that it is our personal story. Um, so this is how theater, to me, can function as a healthy coping mechanism for people going through difficult situations. You can write down what you're feeling, you can use someone else's words, to express what you're feeling and you can do it in front of a stage as loud and as proud as you want. And nobody needs to know that it's your real experience. All they're going to do is celebrate the fact that they think it's incredible storytelling. So, um, the art form itself also encompasses all other art forms, right? We have dance, we have writing, we have painting. Um, we even have STEM fields in theater, which, you know, with lighting design and sound design. So these are all opportunities for creative expression of all of the deep, dark things and happy things and bad things that we feel and in a way that is totally 100% safe. Um, so I think spreading that message has really been important to me. I've experienced experienced some losses in my life and have used theater as a means for coping, as a means for being able to scream and freak out and for it to not be, look at that crazy girl screaming and freaking out, but let's give her first place in this competition because what a great actress.
1: Mm-hmm. Totally. Wow, it's yeah. Because a lot of people, it's like, oh, entertainment value, and I think that that's kind of a domino effect that happens in the industry, uh, from the people out looking in, where it's like, oh, it's a hobby. It's you don't need to eat. You don't need to be entertained yourself. Oh, you, you know, you don't need clothes. You are having fun. So this is an awesome perspective also for people that are not as familiar or are not in the industry, that it's, it's, it's it's more complicated than that.
2: <laughs> it certainly is. And, you know, I, I tell people all the time, if I had, if I could go back and, you know, with what I know now, I would study like lighting, right? Because it's like, we're in so dire need of lighting designers and, and, and really all kinds of designers. We are always searching and searching for these technicians. And so, you know, I always tell people like, listen, if you're really not sure about acting, but you really want to be involved in theater, study an element of design. Um, Or or my my own daughter, for example, who loves to paint, but really isn't sure. I'm telling her, you know, lighting is just painting with light. It's this really beautiful opportunity to create moods and experiences using tech to kind of do that. Um, and so, I think a lot of people have a misconception of what working in theater is can be like, and what it really is. And I think anybody can be successful working in theater if you make smart choices and you have follow through. Which is, which is what I brought to the table when I moved here to San Diego, was follow through. I didn't sign up for anything that I couldn't do. And the things that I could do, I knew that I could do them well. And I approached everything with as much confidence as I possibly could. And, and I followed through. So I was able to find a lot of success. Wow. And we're seeing that. So again, <laughs> congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, by the way, congratulations
0: on getting married. I it was like, Thank so you. Yeah, look, I did the same thing in April.
1: Oh, <laughs> Amazing. I don't. <laughs> My husband's going to be very proud.
0: <laughs> Desiree, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for
2: joining us today on Downstage. Of course. Thank you so much for having me.
1: Thank you. We can't wait to see everything that you have in store for us.
2: Can't wait for y'all to see it. It's going to be
0: great. <laughs> we'll, be there. we'll be right back in just a moment. Well, it's trivia time, and today's first question is, what actor has won the most Tony Awards? Answer at the end of the show.
1: But David, did you know that this commercial break is available for sponsorship?
0: I did not know that.
1: Well, there you go. So if any of our listeners would like to feature their company and or products, they can send us an email at info at org with the subject line advertising in downstage. And we'll take it from there.
0: Welcome back, everybody. Uh, Alejandra, we heard Desiree talking about uh, the different aspects of theater where more and more people are needed, like lighting and sound. and all these special effects that go into theater and so forth. Um, What do you think people who go to the theater need to appreciate even more than perhaps they already do about what the total package of what they're seeing on stage?
1: I think the work itself. And here we go back with theater etiquette.
0: (laughs) (laughs) A recurring theme.
1: I know. Our favorite and i i i'm always giggling and laughing in these episodes because you know it's something that we we we're talking and then my mind is going 10,000 and that's why the giggles but um i think that it would be good, and not all of us do that, I don't do that, also in other areas, but to be more appreciative of the work that's happening for the stage aspect to take place. Just like Desiree was saying, the lighting, the sound, the stage managers, um, the production assistants that are always running around, the prop masters to get everything looking pretty and looking good and functioning and sometimes you know when we're in the middle of a play and then they stop and then obviously the stage manager is like we will come back you know and you're like oh my god like what's happening I hope someone's okay no one is like throwing up backstage and because that's what happens it, it, it it's a, a human <laughs> environment therefore, there are mistakes or there could be mistakes. And I feel that sometimes because we're so used to it being like some sort of, you know, entertainment, medicine, escape, we, we forget that aspect. So I think that, 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 that would be great. And what we've discussed in other episodes too, is the uh, engagement and outreach work other theaters are doing behind the curtain in order for people to know what an actor does, like behind the scenes, a playwright, a dramaturg, all all these things.
0: You know, I think to some degree, it's kind of strange to ponder this, but to some degree, I think the general public appreciates the so-called technical and behind the scenes people in film more than they do in theater because you know they get Oscars and, and people talk about special effects. And, and yet with theater, a lot of audiences, of course, are aware of the organic nature of the production, but many people just kind of look at the performance and the story, which of course is at the forefront, and kind of take those other things for granted. Mm-hmm. Even I do as a critic sometimes and forget about all the different people who are involved in making this a theatrical experience. And uh, I try, I think I'm trying more to acknowledge those contributions in what I write because those people really do a lot, deserve a lot more credit than perhaps they're getting.
1: Yeah, and piggybacking on what you're saying is we did make those mistakes and we, cause people call us out all the time, right? And it was noted and we are all collectively trying to really acknowledge and recognize every moving piece of a uh, performance, of a play, of a musical. And I think that's great. I think that we can't be all always applauding and hooraying what everyone does. Otherwise, there's,
0: there's no growth or room for growth. Before we take another break, I have to say a theater etiquette thing. I can't, I can't help it. Well, they I, keep
1: giving us material. So, I was
0: at a production about 2 weeks ago and there was a woman sitting in the row in front of me. She had her phone on and was checking her email and texting during the show. And this was not a 16-year-old patron. This is somebody who should have known better. And I told my wife, who was sitting next to me, I said, "I'm going to say something to her at intermission." She said, "Don't say anything. Don't say." Anything. <laughs> but it really drove me crazy that she did this. And I don't know. Maybe she picked up on my vibe, but in the second act, she stopped.
1: Well, good because sometimes they don't stop. I've I've had people. I've had a, a man watch a full-on football game uh, during a show. It's like, why are you here? You're not in your living room. It's. And it's that that's what drives me bonkers. And I feel that there should be more um, training for ushers in that sense. And I think that theater should be more vocal and more like the, the pre curtain announcement is not enough anymore. The phones always go off, which is, yeah, okay. <laughs> phones are going to go off, but the fact that people in the dark are blasting their lights and their sounds and everything, you know, full on nine to five <laughs> during the performance, I, I, it's, I think these people should be escorted out. I think there should be signs and me- more ma- more strong or stronger measures should be put in place
0: and among the among the in-house staff should be a theater scold absolutely <laughs> over the ruler you know
1: absolutely <laughs> people are paying and sometimes you're paying a lot of yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: it's not fair when you get you know something at the supermarket that doesn't that's 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 expired you go back you want your money you want it exchanged it's the same thing it's a product and it it should have that quality and that quality is also part of the the experience, I know we can't control everybody, but there are rules, <laughs>
0: you know. So, All right. End of, end of our weekly rant. <laughs>
1: <laughs> this was your weekly rant.
0: We'll take another break and come right back at you.
1: And another trivia question for today's episode. Which are the world's five top destinations for theater? Answer later in the show. And we are back. There are a lot, David, a lot of shows closing this weekend. And I wanted to briefly mention them because there's been so much. I think that because of the pandemic kind of coming, going, coming, going, this is the first full year that we've had. Like, really, it's been really plumpy <laughs> for the theater. Good word.
0: <laughs> it's you, plumpy. I use that at a review. Plumpy. Plumpy. <laughs> Take note, guys.
1: <laughs> so, um, yeah, uh, Oceanside Theater Company is closing. Welcome to Sleepy Hollow. Um, uh, cha is it? Chalk, 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 Chalk Circle of- Collective. Uh-huh. The, the Turn of the Screw. Oh, that was creepy. <laughs> They're closing that one, and then um, Blind Spot Collective is also closing uh, Kajitingan. Oh my god, that show! Oh, beautiful. Just beautiful. Then there is, uh, Adam's Family was closing this weekend as well with, with SEMT, but they had something happen and they um, canceled their last week of performances. And then Zach is closing as well with Loud Fritch Theater. And I think, I think I got them all,
0: I believe. I want you to talk for just a second about the Blind Collective. Mm-hmm the show, which I haven't seen yet, but, but I wanted to say a word about Chalk Circle. Yep. Uh, this was really an inventive production uh, with two people playing, the one person playing many parts, one playing one, but to do this Henry James story and basically in the dark with two people and this incredible soundscape that the two uh, creators, uh, Megan Carmichael, and Michael Cusimano created. It's just a really unusual experience, Uh, and and it came off beautifully, I thought.
1: Yeah, you know, sometimes, most of the time, and even with plays in Spanish that I see in Tijuana or Mexico when I I go, I'm like, what? (laughs) I just don't, sometimes it, it surpasses me, and with this, I know that collectively many of us were like, what happened but it was it was just so full of energy and stimulation it was a very stimulating show and they knew what they were doing and how they were doing it and and for just two actors to do it and be there debut as a company I think it was a very powerful one and I really praise them for for it it was and it, I saw I just saw it yesterday because fun fact I came in late when I thought I was in early and the show had already started And I opened the door <laughs> and looked at me, I was like whoops and I closed back the door so I I missed opening and I and I just saw it I, like almost two weeks later and it was a room full of actors. There were a lot of actors. And that makes it, the energy is even, yeah. you know, more uh, thick, I think, in a good way. Because uh, there's all these profession- professionals watching. So that
0: it feeds into the energy, I believe. And it's in, a, it's in Diversionary theater's black box page, which is very small. Super uh, small. So you really feel like you're in this haunted space with these performers. Uh, and I got to say, you know, I'm not a, I don't like Henry James, <laughs> but I'm right out and say it. This story, I, I will admit, is one of his better works. But I wasn't I wouldn't say I wasn't looking forward to it, but I I didn't know what to expect. And I like being surprised at the theater. I, re- I really do, and I was definitely surprised. So, tell us about blind spot, so so I I know what to expect when I see that. Oh
1: my god, it's just well the the name itself, um, which I'm probably butchering, but Kajitingan, uh, which means uh, valor, and it's about the Filipino soldiers that fought with the U.S. against Japan, and it's but the whole it the, the story tells you like it's 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 through a dissertation. This this was inspired on a dissertation of eighty-three interviews with these veteranos, they call them. Um and like I mentioned in my review, I I have affinity with Filipinos, you know, we're like long lost siblings or half siblings. We were conquered by the same people. We share share words, you know, our currency is named the same. So um it was beautifully done, co- combining dance, a lot of Tagalog, and uh, it's Pangisinan, which is a, another language uh, spoken in the Philippines. And I didn't have an issue with it. I mean, I don't speak Tagalog, but it was so beautiful. And again, in the room, I am a person that I'm always, I've always been that way since I was a little girl. And that's why I went into theater, too. I love seeing people see theater their reactions, how they laugh. And just looking at um a lot of uh Filipino audience members understand, laugh at the puns, then you enjoy it eh, that way. I, I wasn't like, I don't understand. No, not at all. And they had dance and it was so intense, but tender and beautiful at the same time. It was very moving. It's a hard subject matter because it's Uh, How these veterans have not been recognized as veterans, and they didn't have rights um, in the United States when they fought for the country. So, so it's it's complex. I can I can see it being also a little bit controversial, but it's 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 memory as well, and it educates us too with things that 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 happened a million years ago and and still have not been fully resolved and it was speaking of spaces it was in a new performance space at the museum of contemporary art in downtown san diego which is also kind of like a a black box but a, a re, with really high ceilings so i feel that there needs to be some adjustments with the audio because it kind of get gets lost in the in the echo but i mean it was their first show there and uh i think it was fantastic and their um they're also closing and it's been sold out. But I think that if people walk in, you know, there's always cancellations, people that drop out. So I would recommend them
0: going. Either that or uh, Alejandra will hook you up with tickets. Just to-
1: I'll try to hook you up. I try.
0: <laughs> so our theater season, like most around the country, is kind of winding down now as we're almost at November uh, and in about a month, most theater is is either dark or relegated to um, you know holiday oriented fare. But you know, we're, we're fortunate here in San Diego that we've got some pretty high profile uh, productions coming up. Probably the highest profile is La Jolla Playhouse is uh, going to present a theatrical version of *Babbitt*, the Sinclair Lewis uh, novel with Matthew Broderick uh, and Anna Klumsky in the lead roles. And um, I, I know from what I've heard that this has Broadway aspirations and the, the Playhouse is the, um, it's the foreground for that uh, aspiration. So I'm curious to see what this was. This is a novel that I actually do like a lot. I haven't read it in a long time, but I've never seen Matthew Broderick on stage either. And he has, He's got good stage credits as well as film and and television, so I'm looking forward to this. Mm-hmm. And it, it,
1: I mean, it has a look and feel of of a Broadway or a show going to Broadway, and it hasn't even started, and it's already been extended. <laughs> <So>. <laughs>
0: That's always a good sign. Exactly. A, a show that has been done, you know, many, 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 many times by the great Tennessee Williams, The Glass Menagerie, um, and it's been here, you know, I would say a fair amount of times, but not in a while. Diversionary Theater is doing a production of this with Shanna Ride uh, in the lead uh, as Amanda Wingfield. Um, and I think it's uh, Luke Jacob is playing the Gentleman Caller. That, it. uh, um, it's a great play. I never get tired of, that,
1: of it. Right? Yeah, he, we saw him in a uh, last, I believe. Um, I, I think it's a great cast. I'm excited. I'm excited.
0: Yeah, I think the last time I saw it, I think Signet did it, but that was a while ago. So mm-hmm. I'm up for another glass. I up for another glass menagerie we should we should say something about uh, what moxie uh, desiree uh, Clark Miller's Nora uh, Clarks series. is it Nora Clark or Clark Miller Clark Miller I'm sorry Desiree uh, <laughs> I know because I just did a piece on this an advanced piece on this play man and moon um, uh-huh. which uh, is an unusual story that takes place in uh, a cancer ward actually uh, and these two unlikely characters, one of whom is a child, come together, and it has a strong uh, astronomy angle to it, which appeals to me, because when I was a kid, I was really into astronomy, and I'm curious to see the way that you know that is interwoven with this idea of not only um, you know a serious illness, but the lead character who was transitioning at the time, uh, and all these pieces come together in what seems to me a very daunting project, mm-hmm. but the, I, I spoke with the playwright. I'm sorry I don't have her name in front of me, but their name, excuse me, in front of me. But I think this is going to be a potentially really provocative show.
1: Yeah, it seems that way. And and again it's a you can see also the the, the, the handling handing of the, you know, of the of the charges. Yeah. Yeah, and, and the, that transition, and it's it's also very cool to see. And, and Signet, it opens their show as well this weekend.
0: Right. Yeah, that's right. The Little Fellow, which is by Kate Hamill. I think she's a great playwright. Uh, and our friend uh, Keiko Green is starring in that, who we had on the show I don't know, a few episodes ago.
1: Exactly. You can go listen to that if you haven't.
0: <laughs> um
1: yeah, and um, is, is anything else?
0: Yeah, I I I know it's a holiday show, but it starts early. I think it starts on November 8th. The Grinch is coming back to the globe every year. I say I'm not going to go to the Grinch again, and somehow, some way, I end up going to the Grinch again. I don't know that I will this year, but I just said I always do. So, uh, for those of you, anybody who has never seen Doctor Seuss' How the Grinch Stole Christmas, especially if you have kids to take. Uh, it's it's a great show for that. It's fun. It's short. It's um, short. It, yeah, that's <laughs> the best thing for adults. It is short. And frankly, you know, for adults, every moment the Grinch is on stage is very entertaining. The rest of it gets a little sugary sweet. Uh, for most, some favorite.
1: people like. Sometimes I have a friend. Yeah. She could go and see it. At, you know, a million times. It's each year. I'm like, okay, girl. You know, yeah. to you. <laughs>
0: Of kids, I mean, we're our nieces and nephews have all you know seen it, and our friends' kids have seen it. So, I don't, I don't know that we're going to make it this year. But uh, again, if you haven't seen it, yeah, or if you haven't seen it in a while, go see The Grinch.
1: And it always, each uh, actor that brings you know a different flair to The Grinch is always good to see and, and compare. Um, and speaking of the Globe, they're doing their Globe for All tour. Um, as well, which is bringing Shakespeare to the communities. And they're doing a 65, David, 65-minute, 65 no intermission version of the Comedy of Errors uh, based in the Jersey Shore. <laughs> so, it's, it's pretty, I saw it. It's pretty cool. It's a um, very physical comedy. They have dance. Obviously, they interact with the audiences, and their performances are, are free. So they're they're currently playing until November 5th, I believe in a community near you. So so that's cool also to mention because it's a whole different dynamic. And for people that are not familiar with Shakespeare, that's also a a good introduction.
0: So we got you all ready for the, for the clothings. We got you ready for what's coming. And next time we'll talk about the holidays and what I'm getting Alejandra for Christmas. Yeah. Wade. (laughs) wait,
1: Should you get my list no just yeah, I got your
0: list and I checked it twice uh <laughs> well thank you everybody as always for listening and watching the downstage podcast we really appreciate it
1: thank you so much and people who come up and 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 let me know that you like this and that that what we discuss. thank you so much and if you want us to discuss something specific let us know
0: we're here we're, we're here to listen and to talk see you next time
1: See you at the theater. Bye!
0: All right, here is the answer to our first trivia question of the day. What actor has won the most Tony Awards? The answer is Audra McDonald, who has won six. Next most with five is Angela Lansbury and Julie Harris. And for the trivia question,
1: the world, which are the world's five top destinations for theater? Well, according to Booking.com, it is Stratford-upon-Avon in the UK, which is the birthplace of the Bard, William Shakespeare, Almagro, Spain. I think we need to book a trip there, David. Uh, Meiningen, Germany, Ancient Epidabros in Greece, and Williamstown, USA. So now you know. You can do it. You can do your own.
0: yeah, I know. You can do your own theater, tour. Downstage is a production of the San Diego Theater Critics Circle. Your co-hosts, David Codden and Alejandra and Ciso Nardashti.